Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Well, good morning to you. Welcome to Bible Center. My name is John, one of the pastors here. It's a honor and a privilege to be able to open God's Word this morning. So we're going to be in Job chapter 38, Job chapter 38, and we'll be spending our morning in this section of Scripture. And I just say one short word of shepherding for us. Um, We value life because God values life. We value all life because God values all life. But in moments of polarization, in particular in our country, shouting at others, our perspective does not gain us any ground. And so can I encourage you to engage in conversation as we embark on the days ahead of us. Have you ever stopped to think about some of the things that God has created? Some of the things that we take for granted, but to really stop and think deeply about some of the things that God has made. To allow your mind to wander past the point of human understanding or human logic or human reason to a place where you just kind of have to go, wow, wow. Take for instance, gravity, gravity or rain. Got a built-in illustration. Take for instance, gravity though for a second. Have you ever thought about gravity? like really, really thought about gravity? Like when you woke up this morning and you got in your car to drive here, were you nervous that your car was gonna start floating away as you were driving? Or were you you nervous that your car was just gonna be smashed because the forces of gravity were so strong on your car? No, you just assumed it would work the way that it always works. You were gonna get in your car, it was gonna stay on the road and you were gonna arrive here. And then when you got out of your car and you walked into the building, Were you thinking the same things? Were you thinking, man, I gotta be careful with that step. I gotta make sure I step really strong to make sure I stay on the ground. Or did you just walk into the building like we always do? You know, we don't really understand it, but gravity is the word that we use to describe the phenomenon that what goes up, and this is for Paula Tony. must come down. What goes up must come down. And people for years have sought to explain that phenomenon. All the way back to Sir Isaac Newton, he had theories about why that would happen. And Albert Einstein had theories about why that would happen. And modern scientists have theories about why that would happen. But Every single one of them can explain everything all the way up to the why. Why is this true? Why does it exist? Why, at the end of our time together today, will this confetti still be on the ground? Why? Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at God the Father. God the Father, who He is, what he's done, how he interacts with us. Last week we looked at names that he uses to describe himself. Fantastic. 
As we read in particular the Old Testament, we see the different names for God and what those names signify to us and his relationship with us. It's an important thing. Today, we're gonna spend some time in the book of Job. And we're gonna look at one of the foundational concepts to being a follower of Jesus, for someone who knows God through Jesus, and that is this. God is God, and I am not. God is God, and I am not. We're gonna look at three things that we can find that I believe this passage in Job can teach us about the acknowledgement that God is God and I am not. To do that, I need to set the stage just a little bit for what's going on when we arrive at Job chapter 38. Many of you are familiar with the story of Job, the book of Job and the, the life of Job. And Job, like many of us, had questions. He had questions, just like you do and just like I do. You see, Job had experienced lots of things. And for a season of his life, he had, had experienced lots of what he would have called good things. He was physically blessed. He was financially blessed. God even called him spiritually blessed. He was blameless in the eyes of God. But then you know and I know that life changed very suddenly for Job. And it was because God allowed it to change. And so even though all those things were true of Job, God still allowed life to change. And in an instant, Job lost his family, he lost his possession, he lost his fields, he lost everything. Just like that, it was gone. And throughout the rest of the book of Job, we see encounters that Job had with friends who came and they had opinions about what took place and they had thoughts about what took place and they had ideas about what took place and they had various speeches that they gave to Job about their thoughts and opinions about what was going on. Job's wife had thoughts and opinions about what was going on. But did you know that in the middle of the book of Job, there are about three chapters that are designated to Job's questions? Designated to Job's questions. See, this happened to Job. And he had questions. And he asked lots of questions. Why me? Why, when I'm someone that you've called blameless God, do you allow this to happen in my life? I want a lawyer. I want, a, I want an arbiter. I want someone to stand up for me. I want someone to speak on my behalf to God. I want someone to plead my case. To God, I want an audience with my creator so that he can explain himself. I think if we're honest, many of us have thought the same as we've, as we've gone through our own life experiences. Well, toward the end of the book of Job, God speaks. And it's the longest oration that we have from the mouth of God the Father himself in the entire Bible. It's four chapters long. 
God speaks. And so we felt it very appropriate as we close our series on God the Father to listen to God himself. Because God did not choose to answer Job on Job's questions. He, in fact, instead, decided to ask Job questions. He didn't seek to explain himself. He didn't seek to say, well, this is why, or this is how you would understand why this happened to you. He instead sought to exhibit himself, to show himself. And so we're going to spend some time this morning reading Job chapter 38 and Job chapter 39. And I would encourage you as we do this to realize that these are the words of God the Father himself. Speaking to Job, but they can be applied to us because as we know, God does not change. And so we can assume when we go to the, to the Father with the questions of why, that this may be how he would answer us as well. And so if you have your Bibles, Job chapter 38, it'll be on the screen for you as well. And we're gonna take some time this morning and we're gonna listen to the Lord and what he has to say. Job chapter 38, verse one. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. And he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this, what is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. I take solace in the fact that I think God is the author of sarcasm as well. Anybody ever been caving before? Down into a cave? So, um, Caving was my least favorite adventure when I was in college. But it was one of those things that you needed to do one time. One time. Like you got it after one time. 
But we went to this cave and we would take groups in this cave and we would, we would walk through all these passageways and some of them were like hallways and some of them were a little tighter and some of them were a little larger. But we'd walk through these passageways and it would take us deep into the mountain and under the earth. And there was a room at the very, very bottom of the cave. It was the lowest room in the entire cave. And it was called a ballroom and it was about as big as this room under the earth, just huge, huge room. And when you got to this room, you were so far underneath the earth that there was no light. It was the absence of light, no light. Literally, and you've heard of places like this before, but literally you could put your hand in front of your mouth or in front of your eyes and not see your hand. There was no light. We would do the wintergreen lifesaver test, you know, where you, if you bite into a wintergreen lifesaver, it makes a spark and it actually does. And you could see it in the bottom of the cave because there was no light. The only light that was there was artificial when we turn our flashlights on. Contrast that with, you've most likely been to the beach before. Maybe you've been to a beach that has a white sand beach. You ever been to one of those before? Really pure, really, really pretty. But you ever walked out onto the beach on a really, really sunny day, not a cloud in the sky, sun straight overhead, and you walk out on that white sand and you forgot your sunglasses. What happens? The glare just like overtakes you, right? Because there's so much light. You almost have to close your eyes because you can't stand how much light there is. God created darkness and light, like they're both part of his creation. And not only did he create them, he controls them, controls them. Verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the chains of Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? You know, West Virginia in the summer is my favorite season in the world, anywhere. And it's some of it's because of this kind of stuff. You ever sat high, like up on a mountain somewhere and watched a thunderstorm roll in? It's breathtaking, isn't it? And in West Virginia, you can see it, if you're, especially if you're in the mountains somewhere and you're high enough, you can see it start to cover the mountains as it gets closer and closer and closer. And then eventually it just envelops you. And it's, the, it's preceded by the wind. You know, it goes from 140 to about 65, 
just like that. The temperature drops like crazy. The wind hits you and you can smell the rain. And then all of a sudden it's on you. Can we explain that? Yeah, we can talk about what happens and we can understand, well, this happens and then this happens and then this happens. But can we explain the design of that? Questions that God has for Job. Verse 36. Who gives the ibis wisdom? Who gives the rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven when it's young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow in the wilds. They leave and do not return. Who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied its ropes? I gave it the wasteland as its home, the salt flats as its habitat. It laughs at the commotion in the town. It does not hear a driver's shout. It ranges the hills for its pasture and searches for any green thing. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? Can you hold it to the furrow with a harness? Will it till the valleys behind you? Will you rely on it for its great strength? Will you leave your heavy work to it? Can you trust it to haul in your grain and bring it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet, when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting? It paws fiercely, rejoicing in its strength, and charges into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side, along with the flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, it snorts, aha! It catches the scent of battle from afar, the shout of commanders and the battle cry. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? It dwells on a cliff and stays there at night. A rocky crag is its stronghold. From there it looks for food. Its eyes detect it from afar. Its young ones feast on blood. And where the slain are, there it is. Chapter 40, verse 8. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. 
Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at every proud man and bring him low. Look at every proud man and humble him. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. These are the words of the Lord to the questions, to the questions that Job had. If you're Job and you're standing there and you're receiving this, your questions may fade. Your questions may fade. but you're left with response. What do I do now? How do I respond now? I have three responses that I think are appropriate for us when encountering God the Father. The first one, I am willing to submit when I don't agree. I'm willing to submit when I don't agree. You know, the Christian life is a lot about transformation. It's a lot about change. And why is it about change? It's because sin has broken us and we no longer function in alignment with God. We don't function in alignment with God. And so much of the change that happens in our life is us submitting to God's way of thinking. At any moment in your life, you should be able to look back over the last few weeks and find something that you've come to recognize to be true, that God has said to be true, and you have changed because of it. That's growth. You know, we never reach perfection this side of heaven, but we're on a constant journey of change. And so how are you submitting to who God is, to what he says is true? Are you living a life that is forcing God to adjust to you? Or are you constantly adjusting your life to what God has said is true? So the first thing that I think we can do in response to hearing who God is and hearing from God the Father is being willing to submit Even when I don't agree, I'm willing to submit. Second thing, I'm willing to trust when I can't see ahead. I'm willing to trust when I can't see ahead. You know, trust isn't trust when we know what's coming. Faith isn't faith when we know exactly what's going to happen. 
There's a moment where trust becomes trust when we step into the unknown. In trust for who God is and for what he has said and for what he has promised. Trust becomes trust in that moment. It's easy to trust when things are going really well. It's easy to trust when we're being blessed according to ourselves and how we would define blessing. It's easy to, to, to look at God and say, God, I trust you because you are providing what I would call needs at this moment. It's much harder when I'm questioning my next step and I don't know where it goes and I don't know if there's solid ground underneath it when I take the step. That's when it becomes trust. And so when we encounter God, truly God, we become willing to trust because we know who controls the lightning. We know who controls the thunderstorms. And we become willing to trust even when we can't see ahead. The third thing I think that applies to us this morning, I become willing to worship when I don't understand. I become willing to worship when I don't understand. Worship is simply ascribing worth to God for who he is. It's so much more than singing. Although singing is a part of it. But it's a life lived in reverence to God. We're told to submit our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is our act of worship. And so when circumstances hit our life that we can't understand, and when circumstances hit our life that we, we can't wrap our head around, and I don't know why it's like that, my response in those moments is worship for who God is. Because at the root of that, I can trust him and his goodness. And even though in that moment it doesn't make sense and I can't see goodness to me, just like Job, I can't see goodness. I'm willing to worship. Two chapters later, Job responds in repentance. Responds in repentance, which, which is an act of worship. So when we encounter God, the true God, we're changed and we become willing to worship even when we don't understand. You know, God created knowledge, created understanding. He's the author of wisdom, any ability that we even have to think or rationalize or wonder or ask questions comes from him. He made that in us. When we presume 
to understand the ways of God and even deeper to disagree with the ways of God. And we say the words and we shake our fist and we say, if God is who God says he is, then he wouldn't or he would. We take God and we put him in our little definition box. We say, you have to be confined to this because this is what I can wrap my head around. And as soon as we do that, we become our own God. We become our own God. We assume the throne. We make it about us. We, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, think we know better. You know, all of us have experience in our life that make us question God. Question his presence, we question his goodness, question his plan. For me, and those of you that know me, know mine. When I was 11 years old, my life changed drastically. I grew up in a um, prototypical American household. We lived in Jackson County and I lived in a neighborhood where everybody's house was everybody's house. And you were in and out of everybody's house and everybody's parents were everybody's parents. And it just, that's the way it was. And from morning to night, you were running and it didn't matter which house everybody was in. We were just all over the place. And then at nighttime, we'd come back at some point. Everybody would end up in the right places. Had a dad and a mom and a younger brother and a younger sister. And my dad was a huge part of my life. I can remember like specific things that just stick out to me about my relationship with my dad. I remember when I was really little that he would ref Ravenswood High School basketball games. And back then, uh, the little kids were allowed to dribble the basketball at halftime. And so I would go dribble the basketball at halftime because my dad was the ref. I remember he had a motorcycle back when that was still okay. I'm not allowed, um, but that was okay then. And I can remember him picking me up from like, literally, I can remember him picking me up from soccer practice, sitting on the back of the motorcycle and I can feel the pegs vibrate on my feet. Like it's that distinct, those memories. And I can remember the moment where we first heard the word cancer. First heard the word cancer. And at 11, you don't know what that means. You just think, okay, he's sick and he'll get better and we'll get back to doing what we do. And that's the way life is. It was three months. Three months from hearing the word until having his funeral at 11 years old. I didn't even know what questions to ask. Then you read Job's questions and you think, okay, those are actually pretty informed questions. I didn't even know what questions to ask. And there are moments in my life, 35 years later, where it feels like yesterday. Yesterday. 
feels like yesterday. Last week, you know, Father's Day is an interesting day for me. And last week I was sitting right down here as Mike was preaching and, and doing a fantastic job. And I was sitting with my 12-year-old. And we just had one of those moments where she looked up at me and I looked down at her. And it wasn't planned. It was like a just kind of a spur of the moment thing. I don't know what she was doing and what I was doing, but just kind of one of those things. And I caught her eyes and everything just washed over me. Like right then, just washed over me. And my head went to, I can't believe that a child that age went through that thing. It doesn't make sense. Like I can't wrap my head around it. I can't figure out why that would happen, why God would allow that to happen. And 35 years later, I can't stand here today and say, well, this is why. I don't know. To this day, I don't know. I have no idea why that would happen. And there are moments when we're confronted with God the Father where we're left with, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm willing to submit when I don't agree. I'm willing to trust when I can't see ahead. I'm willing to worship when I don't understand. I rest in the goodness of God. You know, the Chronicles of Narnia is one of my favorite series. One of my favorite series. And in the original, or the, actually the second book, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a conversation between Susan and Mr. Beaver. And it goes like this. Aslan is a lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.